0: everybody, hi, how's it going? <laughs> My name is Nina Mamakunian, I'm the librarian for literature and theater and dance here at the UCSD library. Um, just a quick couple of announcements, uh, the restrooms and water fountain are over on that side of the building, um, out through that door, if you need them. Um, if you do need to leave the reading before it is, it is over, we ask that you please use that rear exit so as not to disturb uh, the audience and there will be a and a afterwards. Um, in addition to being a literature librarian here, I'm also the curator for the Archive for New Poetry in our special collections, and we record these readings uh, for preservation in the archive. So during the Q&A, we're gonna be having um, these little handheld mics, and we ask you that you please use the mics uh, so that not only can everybody hear you, but we can pick up your question um, for, the, for the recording. Um, if anybody is interested, I just did a quick check And in our library catalog system, there are currently 579 new writing series readings cataloged, um, which is pretty impressive. (laughs) You can listen to, um, I believe it's 143 of them um, streaming online. So while you're working out, while you're walking to class, while you're sitting in traffic, um, please fill your life with poetry and writing. Welcome and we're very very excited to have the new writing series here and with that I will bring up Professor Brandon Som
1: Thank you Nina thank you so much hello everyone um, I love this idea of working out with you know headphones and listening to poetry I think that's fantastic so yeah take take the new writing series into the gym um, uh, Again, I'm I'm, uh, Dr. Brandon Sam. I'm a poet and professor here in the Literature Department. I am so thrilled uh, to be here. We have a few uh, more seats um, open here in the middle, and and maybe if you have have an open seat by you, you can raise your hand and people can come up this way. Um, Also, there's space along the wall over here if you want to be more comfortable and and spread out. That would be great. So welcome, everyone. So I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited that Sesshu Foster is here. We're thrilled to have him, um, that he he made the drive down uh, from Los Angeles. Um, Lucas Baylor, uh, our uh, graduate student in the MFA program, is going to be introducing uh, Sesshu this evening. So uh, I'll step out of the way in a minute, but I just want to make a couple announcements. First of all, I want to remember this, too. If you have one of these, if you could just shut it off or uh, anything that beeps or buzzes, if you could turn that off, that'd be uh, so wonderful. Thank you. Just a few announcements of some really wonderful things coming up. It's a big week here for the Literature Department. We have Sesshu Foster tonight, and tomorrow we have a day-long symposium uh, in the Literature Department, uh, Rethinking Ethnopoetics and the Legacy of uh, UCSD Pref- Professor Emeritus uh, Jerome Rothenberg. Um, So it's a day-long symposium. There's a couple sessions, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and there's more details up on the literature uh, website. And then as part of that symposium, later on in the evening, uh, Pierre Joris is going to be reading for us um, in Uh, my classroom, actually, or our classroom. There's some of my students here um, with us today. So that's going to be in Pepper Canyon Hall in 122. So we're opening that up to the campus and inviting you all to come uh, for that reading. uh, The poet and translator and essayist, uh, Pierre Jaurice. And also, looking forward to future events uh, for the new writing series, we have Manuel Paul Lopez, an amazing poet and writer, uh, is going to be here in November, and Marilyn Chin uh, will be here celebrating her uh, new and selected, uh, I think, just out this month on Norton Books. So we're really thrilled. Also... um, a, a bit of a celebration and also a pol- an apology. This is Seshu's newest book, and I believe it's uh, in part what he, he'll be reading uh, from this evening. Uh, normally, we have the bookstore here selling copies, but unfortunately, the bookstore was unable uh, to bring the book with them today, or, or, or to get books. So I, I want to plug the book. Uh, uh, you know, the, these readings are, are are in part a celebration. Uh, for the spoken word, but also for the printed text. So uh, this book is uh, available online. Please find it. Please seek it out. It's such an important text, and you're going to hear from it today. So uh, please please get online and, and, and grab, a, uh, grab a copy for yourself. Um, okay, I think that's it for me. Thanks for being here, and please welcome Lucas Baylor.
2: All right. Hi, everybody. Everybody can hear me all right? Cool. Okay. So I'm actually going to start with the more official bio before I go into kind of more of an artistic statement about Sesshu Foster's work and my experience with it. So Sesshu Foster is a poet, teacher, and community activist from East Los Angeles. His books include the poetry collection City Terrace Field Manual, American Loneliness, Selected Poems, and World Ball Notebook. The winner of an American Book Award and an Asian American Literary Award for Poetry. He's also the author of the speculative fiction novel Atomic Aztec, winner of the Believer Book Award. He also co-edited the anthology Invocation LA, Urban Multicultural Poetry, also the winner of an American Book Award. His most recent projects include this year's City of the Future, again, I recommend you get it, uh, published by Kaya Press, and last year's chapbook Praying Mantis from Business Bear Press. After earning his MFA from the Iowa Writers' Workshop, Foster returned to teach in East LA and has also taught at the University of Iowa, the California Institute of the Arts, Naropa University's Jack Kerouac School of Disembodied Poetics, Pomona University, and the University of California, Santa Cruz. So I first wanted to actually share a quote um, from another writer from Hyon Chirara's essay, Thinking Detroit, found in the anthology The Poem's Country, Place and Poetic Practice. We live in places. Regardless of where on earth and when in time we live in them, our joy and grief, our pain and happiness remains much the same. How we encounter and re-encounter those joys and pains also remains much the same. When I think of Detroit in the years 1972 through 1994, which are all gone, or when I think of the house I grew up in on Carlin Street, which is gone, or my mother gone, and everything else in the past which is always on the verge of coming to mind, When it comes, all of it, whether I want it to or not, it is always there, always here, and never the same. I first experienced Session Foster's work through the aforementioned book City Terrace Field Manual, a collection of prose poems set in Foster's home neighborhood of City City Terrace in East L.A. I found out about this book while researching poetic texts on place, and what captivated me about this book was that the poems didn't just list a bunch of different places as of acting as a tour guide, but rather, the poems were intensely personal. The book seemed less about representing a Los Angeles that might be familiar to the reader and more about representing Foster's own experience of a Los Angeles, particularly through his relationships to other people. City of the Future, a book that I hesitate to prescribe any genre to, we've been talking a lot about this in our own MFA workshop about not genreing anything, um, maintains much of that same feeling. In writing his own experience of place, Los Angeles most prominently, but elsewhere as well, Foster doesn't simply focus on the known or easy-to-google facts about a given place, but instead gives space to the gaps, the unknowns, the shadows gleaning off of bodies, stray experiences only remembered in blurry details. There are both lists of names and lists of forgotten names, but the experiences remain. In his work, you don't get the list of places and events A to Z in chronological order, but that's part of the point. City of the Future represents the necessary honesty in writing about a place, about a life, It's about putting down the details of experience that spread themselves throughout a day, a year, a decade. City of the Future reminds us that writing and experiencing place isn't about writing or experiencing a list of tourist activities, lists of locations with no human experience to relay. What these lists of locations, of monuments, of institutions only serve to relay is an absence of the life lived in those spaces, of the people known in those spaces, of the human interactions in those spaces, of the histories of displacement in those spaces. Writing and living in places, Foster states, necessarily requires the labor of community building, of recognizing the work done before you ever even arrived somewhere. Looking at a community as a blank slate that's only missing you feeds what Foster focuses on as the apartheid imagination and relies on an understanding of place absent of the people who have worked to create community and those who have been displaced from it. As we see cities such as Los Angeles become further gentrified and thus see the further displacement of people, ignoring such realities also serves to support the apartheid imagination. So in focusing on all of these people and experiences, in representing his home community as he knows it and has lived it, Foster's work directly confronts that apartheid imagination and he writes, I place this line in front of it, saying my whole life has been against it and the rest of my life will be against it. To return to Terrar's quote, everything about one's experience of a place or the people in it may not be the same or even present anymore. But as Sesshu Foster writes in the piece Mother's Day Night in City of the Future, certain moments, memories, sensorial details, even if they're gone, rise behind the daylight, like a mole rub between two fingertips, like a big river coming around a bend in the dark. Everybody, please welcome Sesshu Foster.
3: Thanks very much, Lucas. Thanks, Professor Psalm, and you all for having me here today. Um, let me, let me, um, all right. I live in Alhambra, um, adjacent to, uh, East LA. And, uh, so my, the current book is, is, uh, punctuated or interspersed with, Postcards, um, sort of cyber postcards or actual postcards. I, I send a, about oh, 10 or 20 actual postcards per week to friends. Um, I like postcards. I like the idea that some random little message on a 3x5 piece of paper is going to fall out of the day in, into one of my friend's um into one of my friend's days, um, and I've been told that, uh, for example, uh, one of them was walking around Brooklyn and found one on the floor. Um, which is, which is good. That's, that's, that's how I would like it. Uh, this, so this is an Alhambra postcard. Um, and actually the, f- the first part is a message someone sent to me. Around 4.30 a.m., a a loudspeaker blared, This is the sheriff's special weapons unit. We have a search warrant. Carlos Montes, come out with your hands in the air. Residents at such-and-such Waverly Drive, come out of the house with your hands in the air. We have a warrant to search the residents. Carlos Montes, come out of the house. Repeatedly. For nearly half an hour, then they smashed in the front door, Fallujah style, helmeted men in full armor, poured in and through the rooms, sighting their raised rifles, flashlights slicing the dark kitchen, the living room, up the staircase, the upstairs bedroom, their military silhouettes providing cover for another, precisely all their movements visible through the panoramic windows, for a long time, they cased the rooms, entered the garage, pulled boxes from the shelves, searched the car. They relaxed, stood about, rifles pointed down, the commandos left, uniformed sheriff's officers milled about. As dawn arrived, the unmarked sedans pulled up, graying men in plain clothes entered their, the house for their own inspections. Activity diminished. When I left for work, two Alhambra patrol cars were parked in the alley. Our neighbor's house was ripped open. Our neighbor is an activist. His daughter came up later to close the house. Um, yeah, so. Um, uh, when I bought that house, I didn't really know who Carlos was. Uh, when I bought the house across the street, I didn't know who Carlos was. Um, I took a bunch of my students to a metro conference at uh, Cal Poly Pomona, and they were showing the PBS documentary Chicano on to to the conference attendees, and I was like, "There's my neighbor." <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't know he was co-founder of the Brown Berets, and that there's. There's an actor in the movie Walkout who plays him as a kind of loud mouth agitator. Um, all right. Um, okay, a couple pieces about City Terrace, um, where I grew up, where my mother still lives. And uh, um, this one kind of spans, this is a piece from the longer titled poem, Uh, which, which kind of spans the time between, uh, my book, City Terrace Field Manual, which was about growing up there and, uh, and later years. Um, and it's, um, it's about a reading that I gave at Cal State Dominguez Hills. So big crowd at Cal State Dominguez Hills backed out the door, standing along the walls. They were still entering foggy spring night 2011 in southern california i had some vague idea of what to do what i was going to deliver i had a couple of my books on the podium with a piece i'd read at santa cruz for a big crowd that went for it night fell against the windows of those big academic halls as usual i had one ear pressed to the ground i had one ear open to pick up the vibe from the crowd. As I read, I tried to hear inside me some rhythms, whether they laughed or went silent. I tried to roll out useful information with bright notes of energy interspersed with a few laughs. I got some of it. A lot of questions afterward, a good sign with a line of people with books to sign. I got it done. Somewhere down the line, a shiny-haired, skinny raquero stepped up to deliver me a letter one arm covered in christmas colored dragon tats i probably stepped back in shock when the kid said it was from his mom daughter of a murdered woman i wrote about in a previous book the kid said the letter was from his mom to mine writing to thank her for her kindness to the family after the murder and probably this happened when i was around 13 or 14 His grandmother was found in a car, shot behind the supermarket after she ran away, they said, with a man. When I put it in a book, I pictured the kind of ramshackle beige Dodge station wagon our families drove in those days. I thanked him and put the letter in my pocket, very grateful he wasn't jamming me up with a bunch of hard questions. Just a kid, I might have said. But he was just delivering the message. That message rode so many years out of the past and pressed the right side of my chest. I'd stood on the steps and looked up as she opened the door. Whomever I was asking about, maybe Oscar or his brother, wasn't home. I was surprised, shocked then as now, by the lack of anything like interest or kindness or warmth in her eyes. Though maybe a smile had faded from her face. I always thought it was because of what women in the neighborhood said about her, that she was unhappy because she was ill. She turned away and shut the door. After 40 years, about the street lamps of the foggy parking lot, dark night hung like a black dress. And then there's a little coda. Like the sound of wood, on wood, across the water. Like lights obscured as you look at them from a boat. Like the sound crossing the depths, her voice. What's happening here? You know, I think I might play this video to get it out of the way. I don't have to so I don't have to wake it up later Um, my next book is uh, uh, well it's kind of a novel Um, what's happening I think it's playing already is it moving no it's not it is moving hold on uh, so part of my current practice was to try and, um, try and, uh, well, throughout the last 30 years, my practice has been to relate my written work to East LA and various interventions, uh, in, in and about the place and, uh. The last ones ha- have been trying to collectivize it in some way, so collaborate with other people. And so I have a book coming out a year from now that is a collaboration with artist uh, Arturo Romo, um, where he's he does uh, various kinds of um, uh, visual work. Uh, he also does videos and um, some writing himself, and uh, he's an activist with the Northeast uh, Los Angeles Alliance, one of the anti-gentrification groups that are active on the east side of Los Angeles against that um, kind of tsunami of of uh, horizontal fences coming our way. Um, well, all right. So this is a a video that he produced about a poem. Um, And it was produced for the Smithsonian Institute about a year ago. Um, They asked me to write a poem about Latino-Asian-American collaboration. And as I was collaborating at the time, I was wondering, like, how... I was going to um, write a poem about these kinds of collaborations, um, but but it occurred to me that that there was this this movie that I'd seen when I was growing up, Hell to Eternity, uh, starring uh, a white actor as this this Chicano Medal of Honor winner. Um, anyway, I think. The poem. The, the poem will probably uh, explain itself. See if it plays, so I can, so I can take it off. There's a grammatical error at the bottom that I was too ashamed to tell Arturo for the thousandth time to fix. Guy Galdon was born in 1926, raised in East LA, shined shoes on Skid Row until the age of 10. At 12, he moved in with the Nakano family of Boyle Heights where he learned Japanese. When the Nakanos were sent to camp in Arizona, Galadon joined the Marines at age 17 and used Backstreet Japanese to capture 1,500 Japanese troops on Saipan. In the movie version, Galadon was played by white actor Jeffrey Hunter, who at age 42 suffered a stroke in 1969 and died
0: falling down the stairs. In the movie
1: version, Skid Row was played by 1960s Bunker Hill, and H-12 was played by a grasshopper flying in a summer field. Sweetness drained down the streets in buses and
3: trolleys. In the movie version, A Boy Shining Shoes was played by Route 66, and Relocation Camps were played by cars passing by. Packards were played by
1: Dodges. In the movie version, cold beer was played by country music and nasal twang. Jeffrey Hunter was played by slight nausea and nostril flare. His headache was played by the
3: 20th century. In the movie version, colors of the rushing ocean were played by the whir of a strip through the machine. And the sizzling palm leaves were played by folded taco smell. Somebody was played by nobody.
1: In the movie version, the present is played by an off camera past, with seagulls added or removed, and palm trees painted on a canvas backdrop of night. Popcorn smell is played by cotton
3: candy. In the movie version, wishes were played by a voiceover of broken dishes and bouts of influenza were played by magazines in the rack. A funnel of smoke over the hills was played by extras dressed like citizens.
1: In the movie version, East LA was played by the blood bursting an artery and dust specks thrown into array on the stairs, the golden moment bulking. <clears> Thank <throat>
3: Thank you. Okay. Um, Let's see. A couple more pieces, then. Um, This this is a sort of essay. Um, I don't know when I when I publish my work, the poets call it prose, and then the prose writers call it poetry. I just try to thread that needle. Um, all right. Uh, at any rate, this this uh, essay was published by the Poetry Foundation, and then it went viral. And what that means is that I didn't get any money from it. That's what that means. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, all right. Um, and <laughs> it's, addressed, it's addressed to MFA candidates and, and college students. Um, so how is the artist or writer t- to function in the community outside of institutions? One, all you MFA candidates, all you college students, AWP hangers-on, all you high school students wondering what to do, which is the same thing as how to live, how to make a life, how to save your own life. Are you secret poets looking for support? Striving artists who need a job? What about you? Two, most of you will find yourselves outside of institutions. Three, dreams tell us the life of the mind goes on regardless. Regardless of institutions or individuals, the life of the mind is a collective dreaming. The dream goes on whether or not anyone makes movies about it or documents it or hold conferences or seminars about it. The mind goes on. The institutional imagination with schedules and regulations with tests and prerequisites will be insufficient on the outside. In the broader world of completely indifferent and more democratic sidewalks, offices, transactions, atmospheres, it's true sometimes college provides the only encouragement working class students receive for creative thinking, but unlike academia which scaffolds, individual uh, efforts, and conceives of art and writing as individualistic practice, the broader world is indifferent. Institutions fetishize rational discourse, Operating on the level of rationalizations as if sitting around a conference table in negotiation has to be a major life skill for you. Perhaps not. An institutionalized aesthetic production process you may have formulated in academia may not work for you outside. You must get outside and feel all right producing some kind of creativity that can stand the daylight and the smog. You may perhaps object that the community lacks community. In fact, there seems to be people there who are actively hostile, perhaps violent towards art, dreams, poetry, etc. You may object that in academia, At least there are rules for discourse and behavior and you don't feel exposed to that hostility. In the community that lacks community, some may feel hostile. There may be violence. Many have been defeated. They feel they have been defeated, but it doesn't stop their dreaming, mythologizing their visions. Make no mistake, millions of people that the media and Hollywood depict as nobodies, extras in the background, people of color or zombies or killers, those working class people. That's the roles that they have for them. They're dreaming. All of which helps you to figure out how to survive as an artist, a writer, a dreamer, a mythologist, a person of vision, how to survive. A. Call me. Call me at 1 a.m. crying so I can hear mucus over the line. Tell me UC Irvine decided in the middle of the first year of your MFA to take back your financial award. B. Talk to me late into the night, even if I have to get up for work. See, meet me for noodles. I'll take you to pho. I'll listen to your whole deal, how you're a tenured professor at UCLA, but your books don't sell. You edited a poetry series that was canceled by the University of California in a budget cut. I'll buy you pho. (laughs) Ask me to lend you $40. I will. This was another UCLA professor. They need to pay them more. Text me. Say you're going to the airport on such and such a date. Lay over for the afternoon. I'll take you to Aliki's Tavern Greek Restaurant. Meet me at the little house in El Serino. Your relatives standing silent behind us on the porch in darkness before dawn. Duffel bags in hand. We'll embrace out front. Breath coming out. Plumes in the Chill. They slept on the floor, and they're ready to go, so there's not much time. You don't need more coffee, just a drink of water. You have thousands of miles to drive. We'll help you load. Your people are waiting on you. Call me when you get to California. Tell me you just arrived and don't know anyone. You don't have a place to stay. I'll give you my cousin's number. (laughs) This was before he was married. Anyway, he's separated now. He could do it. (laughs) My cousin will let you stay at his place, mid-city for a month, until you get a place. Usually I've got a couch or an extra room. Meet me by accident at the front door. I'll be living in a different house by then. One night when I'm cleaning out the empty house, having moved out, trash bags in both hands. I can't see you under the street lamp with the glare in my eyes. People stand at the edge of the stairs. You step into the light and tell me who you are, and we laugh because I haven't seen you in years. The last time was a thousand miles away. You're looking for an address up the street, a meeting at the house of an old revolutionary. I'll point up the dark street. I might know the person you are looking for. M, change your name. Get rid of your slave name. Revert to the indigenous. Run a pirate radio station out of a van in the hilltops of East L.A. Broadcasting secret revolutionary communiques in the middle of the night that nobody ever listens to. <laughs> I mean, like, who's, who's going to listen to a, a, a pirate radio station on a band that doesn't show up every day in the middle of the night? Anyway, all right. Um... Ask me for a letter of recommendation for a job at the university. Send me your CV. I'll say anything. I'll be glad to. That's why they call it creative writing. (laughs) Ask me to show up and talk to your students. I will. I'll drive to Nimitz Middle School and read poems to a library full of middle schoolers. I'll read them poems and answer their questions about poems and how to be a writer. I'll find a ticket on my windshield afterwards. Ask me to speak to a group of high school students at the Alternative High School. I'll read them a couple poems at the picnic table under the tree. I'll give each one at the table a free book of poems and sign the ones who ask. Maricela Norte will talk to the students at the other table. Ask me to talk to students at UCR, grad students, graduate seminars, and then the undergrads who are on their cell phones. University of Minnesota, Harvard, Hunter College, Columbia, Oxy, UCSD, UCSC, San Francisco State, SUNY Buffalo, Erie Community College, where the kids paid real attention and asked great questions. Pasadena City College, Bisbee Central School Project, Cal State LA, Cal State Northridge, I'll go. I'll drive a rental car from Boston South, from Tucson through Tombstone to Bisbee, I'll drive that rental from airport at Cedar Rapids to a reading in La Crosse, Wisconsin, up the cold winter Mississippi River to Minneapolis. I'll drive four hours south through stop and start traffic on the five to get to a benefit reading in some place like Laguna Beach. Ask me to meet you so we can talk about grad school. Ask me to meet you so we can talk about teaching writing to students. Ask me to meet you so we can talk about manuscripts, publishers, agents, and options. Don't hesitate to appear in my dreams. A California coast town. Some novices. A community college group. Handful of people amid a scattering of student desks. What's going on? Nothing. The instructor who's a pal doesn't have programming or an agenda, turns to me, you want to read something? You got something? Of course, I always have something. I can do something. I'll read The Blue Garage. What is The Blue Garage? It was supposed to be something I can run through without thinking, but now I can't recall what it was. I just need something, a little clue. I can do this but I can't remember what it was. It's like everything has gone dark, and indeed I'm standing in the middle of a blue garage. It's an, aban- it's an old abandoned garage, debris, blue paint blistering and peeling. I've been standing there so long, only one person's left. My host leads me away. There's a reception or gathering afterward in some little downtown storefront, but I'm in no mood, disgusted with myself. Later I wake up in a furniture store in a pile of rags. It's morning. Time to go. You. When you get old and sick, someone will put out the call. This person has been one of our best, one of our bravest, one of our toughest. They stood up for us. They spoke up for us. And now they're old and sick and need our help because it's true you are brave and never stop. I'll cut a check. Though I have debt without end, I'll cut a check. W. Ask me what I do for a living. And when I answer, you frown with class bias. Really? That's what you do? X. X. Come over to my house and tell me you can't stand it where you're staying because the poet hosting you in L.A. fights all the time with her boyfriend. It's a house of pain. <laughs> Talk to me about the poetry festivals you attend around the world and where can you read your poems in Los Angeles and how much, how much uh, money can you get for your poetry. I'll tell you what I know about the festivals, small presses, gigs, the poetry business, and you invite me to read poems in New Zealand as long as I pay my way. Why? Call me. Leave a message saying you want me to look at your manuscript. Z. I'll be happy to look at your manuscript. Don't commit suicide in that motel in San Clemente. Don't treat other people like they're disposable. Least of all, yourself. Don't throw yourself away. Treat people well, be good to yourself, be at your best in your work, and you'll receive coffee, grants, awards, blurbs, introductions, couches to sleep on, beer, wine, meals, job offers, referrals, advice, sexual favors, puppies, flowers, photographs, poems, rides, money, fellowships, lessons, trips, tips, applause, passes, residencies, walks. Recipes, bicycles, admiration and respect, hugs, stories, glimpses, visions, and and gifts of lives that otherwise would never come your way. If you commit suicide in that motel room, you get nothing. One of the beautiful things about art is that it comes from you. It represents you in the crowd. It bears your handprint. It tells your story. It's personal in the indifferent universe it's fun in grim times. It's the helpful, the hopeful thing that is your own gift to live, to give. Yeah, you got to live it, too. When you survive as an artist or writer, you will produce art and writing, and it will help you to survive. Uh, I, that's good. eh? <laughs> Thank you.
1: As we said earlier, we have the opportunity to ask questions of uh, uh, We've got a, a few mics around the room with Mark and Nina with mics. If you can raise your hand, they'll come over with the mic. Uh, and, uh, again, using the mic is being marked.
3: In current times. Um, well, poetry is is a way, really, to uh, get at the truth in ways that um, fiction cannot. For example, um, fiction is all about you know, once upon a time, and then it starts telling the story, and, and so there can be a lot of truth in that story. But it's going to it's going to go that route. It's going to go into first this happened and then this happened and then next this happened and somebody said something and somebody else said something else, and so it's going to go all that way, and it's not going to tell you in the first sentence. Um, and uh, in conversation, people are going to be euphemistic. They're going to be polite. They're going to or. Polite or not, or they're going to uh, make some rhetorical uh, move that is appropriate to the situation, um, whereas poems avoid all of those things and are not necessarily appropriate to any situation. Um, and so they can they can speak directly about the diciest kinds of things that uh, people are dealing with without sort of, yeah, without uh, without dodging it, I guess, or without having to go through once upon a time and then this happened and this happened. And, and then at the end, we're all just boats beating against the current. Yes. Me, I just wanted to ask uh, what's your opinion on defying genre in the twenty first century? <laughs> <laughs> um well you know I think that um that it happens regardless uh that uh that time is upon us that changes are upon us that um that that people are on their phones and they're on their computers and they're on their devices and so there's images and text on there they're all mixed up coming at them at all times and uh and so there's this big mix of of language that's in there um uh and and I mediate um you know the i mediate my different levels of reality through language maybe you do too maybe everybody in this room tends to do that i don't know but like um i think that that everyone is living that that mix of genres right like nobody is nobody is a puritan of genre nobody is off of I bet no one is off of their their cell phones. Everyone has, like, only Jack White, I think. Right. Only Jack White is off his cell phone. Everyone else is, like, on their cell phone at all times and, and uh, listening to music, and everything is all mixed up all at the same time. And actually, that's... Um, that's the kind of matrix for, for the language that appears in my work. Um, and so, um, I like to deal with it in, in, on purely the language level because it's an abstraction from all those different media. Um, and, but, um, but I think everyone lives there. Everyone lives in that big mix of, of news and, Conversation and media and everything, all all every day, at all times. Yeah. Um, go ahead. You pick. <laughs> Sorry, I get Thank you. Um, I guess my question then is kind of in response to this
0: idea of genre and mixing, which is um, how do you think that your collaborative Or
4: space
3: that you're in right now. well it'd be more apparent in the in the book that's due out a year from now because we're negotiating with the publisher about like how much they're willing to spend on like integrating the digital imagery with text, which isn't which which is cheaper and cheaper it's like um, now it's it's really not um, unless unless you're talking color any more expensive than than old fashioned text used to be. Um, can you repeat what, like, the, the quote oh, was about collaboration. Um, yeah, the, the, um, the short answer is that it will delay you for years. That's the short answer. Like the more people you try and collaborate with, the more they tell you their schedule doesn't match yours. And that you want you want the the turnaround to be immediate and the turnaround is going to be like a month or two later. Um, and so the collaboration Involves involves the kind of flexibility that I think living in the city uh, necessitates. That you have to, um, yeah, you have to be, have that kind of flexibility in your in your life and your schedule. Yes.
0: Uh, speaking quickly on your comment about poetry, search for truth. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's even possible for a poet? To write with depth and authority on a subject with which they're
3: not intimately familiar. Um. Yeah, I mean, because um, because readers readers bridge that gap. Readers bring to um, to all the books that they love. They bring themselves, their life, and their own experience to that. And so they make up for everything that you know that that uh, that the real writer has uh, no experience with, like hobbits or um, you know robots or or whatever that you know whatever whatever the the writer is is uh, imagining is made real by the reader because um, the reader brings themselves and, and puts themselves into it um, and and the writer allows them to do that, the writer makes it possible for them to do that, makes the space for them to do that, but if they don't do that then, then it doesn't matter what the writer does
2: um, In your writing process, I noticed in, in City of pieces like have you seen this dog where the take one or the framing of uh, of the title poem um, in your writing process how much do you uh, consider the visual representation of any given piece of
3: any given poem um not too much um for me it is about that that streaming of language um and and I do try and put off on other people as much of the other kind of work as possible. The visual layout, the publishing, the marketing, um, everything. Um, like Professor Song was talking about, that they didn't bring my books to sell. It's like, whatever. <laughs> they need to do all that. Because um, really, I'm concentrating just on like, on on the production of of text. Um, you know, I I I really uh, I, I'm interested in the relationship of image and text. And I did waste like seven years messing around with blogs and stuff. <laughs> um, and it's like <sighs> seven years of of no book. That's what that was about.
4: Oh, thank you. Thanks for coming. Oh, yeah, no, I, I wouldn't miss it. Um, so uh, there, there are a lot of fiction students in the room, and um, okay. I love genre distinctions. Um, I also love fucking messing with them. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Um, and, um, but, um, but because there are so many people taking an intro to fiction class in the room and we're working on character and dialogue, would you mind telling them a little bit about Atomic Aztecs and how you did character and came up with dialogue for these very like regular world and very not regular world told in a very not regular way?
3: Um, could you talk to them a little bit about that? Um, sure. Or- so Atomic Aztecs was originally um, conceived of as a kind of William Burroughs fractal uh, narrative. By fractal, I mean fractal is where uh, something forks once, and then if then those two forks fork two more times, and then those forks fork in some geometrical progression of forking narrative. Um, and because it was playing with the idea of these alternative universes which some string theorists say is not, is not um, a theory that it's actual reality. Um, and so uh, that was the kind of narrative conception of the book and then I handed this giant manuscript to City Lights and they said, we don't get it. <laughs> Um, and so, um, and so in the space of one month, I cut it down to a bifurcated uh, world where these two universes, um, overlap. One where the Aztecs have defeated the Spanish and gone on to conquer Europe. Um, and the other with, uh, those characters living and working in the um, Farmer John meatpacking plant in the city of Vernon in East L.A., um, uh, partly because I felt that that bifurcation uh, replicates the tremendous uh, dislocation and loss of migrants who uh, are daily walking across the desert and and walking across Mexico and working in this Farmer John packing plant in the city of Vernon, um, and in every restaurant we go to, um, and giving us all the food that we eat. Um, and so, um, so the conception of partly of the characters and the complexity of, of that, um, Sort of otherworldly, um, uh, bifurcation was an attempt to get at that, what I felt like was that kind of schizophrenic or bifurcated, um, reality that they have to live on the ground. Um, uh, and that, um, and it also comes from the Chicano movement, which posited that, that, uh, uh, this, that California was once part of Mexico. <laughs> that, that it was. That um, <laughs> that Mexicans have always been here. Um, that this is indigenous land. That <laughs> that the indigenous people um, are still here. Um, and so uh, it was an attempt to to negotiate those different kinds of um, exigencies and and realities and and. The, fit them into some characters like uh, articulate have the have the characters articulate that experience Um, yeah Thank you. Thank you all for coming.
4: Thank you for that at the end of the day. Thank you. You have to run off to class. Thanks for coming. I'm not allowed to go to dinner because I have to teach. I love the class. Thank you. That was so great.
3: I, I don't know what I said made sense, but
4: I think it made sense, and we're gonna talk about it. <laughs> we'll talk about it a little more like being in multiple locations within oneself, yeah, and outside that's right. of oneself, yeah. 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 yeah, and you know, just it's, it's so like smartly really smart. But they like, I just love that book so much. I love, it. I've been reading that book for years. it's yeah.
3: Been a while since we've seen you.
4: In the human, yeah. In the human yeah. form, I think I've seen like your little photo every now and then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm back there. I'm here. I like. I go. I go between.
3: Yeah. How are you doing?
4: I'm happy. Yeah. yeah. I'm ha- today I'm. I happy. think I
3: saw a Facebook post about you thinking about music or something. Starting a band again. Yeah.
4: Yeah. I think it's actually like gonna. It's, it, I think it's gonna happen. Okay. One of the people who was like, Yeah, me got the ball rolling yesterday for reals. Yeah. So, um, I, think, I think it's, I think this is a good time to be punk again. Thank you, Lily. <laughs> I think I have to go from being ex-punk to re-punk. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I don't
3: feel like being subtle right this moment. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. when I can get away with it. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe really? subtle is Too polite. Yeah,
4: exactly. I feel like we have to be polite a lot. Sometimes. And and we don't always. And I get to we get to remember that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Have fun at dinner. Okay. Thanks for coming. Oh no, I love your work so much, and I'm so glad you had a big crowd. Okay, see you back in the. of the Next time. (laughs) Ich <laughs> bin